listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew 6, uh, we will be looking at uh, a very important passage of Scripture, one that many people, many of you would already know and would probably have set to memory. But before I do that, just want to share with you, uh, last Saturday, my wife Charlotte and I, we returned from spending uh, about a week and a few days in Hawaii, in Maui, and had a wonderful time there, and celebrating a little early our 25th wedding anniversary, which is in June, and I believe some of the scenery that we observed there was probably some of the most amazing, some of the most beautiful that I've ever seen in my life. And, and, and just th- there were times I was just like, oh, would you look at that? That's so amazing. I mean, from an old lava tunnel cave that we were able to go in and, and find a very glorious treasure in there even. And, and, and being able to explore something like that to incredible animals, being able to see some of the wildlife, just the fish from snorkeling or, or turtles or a massive turtle that came on the beach this one day. Even got to see whales jumping like crazy just in, in the ocean as they're there in the nice warm waters of Hawaii as there's uh, birthing and then there's also the mating that's going on. Just a glorious time for the whales and a glorious time for us to be able to watch this kind of thing, you know. And, um, and then just, just listen, I mean, the coloring and the sound. Just take a look at this. Love this. You know, just the majesty, the power, the coloring. I mean, the iPhone did a pretty good job of capturing those colors, but my eyes would do even a better job. But just even imagine, I mean, just the thickness and the richness of God's creation. It was just so amazing. And, and you know what? There's beauty wherever we go. You don't have to go to Hawaii to see that. There's beauty even in the prairies. Yes, there is. And, and some of you may, you know, dispute that. But look, these are friends of mine that, have, uh, that post these kind of pictures. They live on a farm in Melford's. Saskatchewan, and, and here's a canola field, an oncoming storm, and a sunset. Beautiful! Like, look at creation. Look what God has done. There's even the beauty and the uniqueness of a snowflake. Even though we may not like snow, not think much of it. I was reading an uh, article from the National Geographic this past week that scientists are in agreement that, that and, and, and yet are totally unable to explain how the likelihood of two snowflakes being identical is next to impossible. And David Phillips, the Canadian meteorologist and, and climatologist and whatever name you, it's, it's you want to put behind his name, he, I read one quote from him that over the course of time, he has figured that 10 followed by 34 zeros are the number of snowflakes that have fallen on this earth and each one is different. Like, how amazing is that? And that is just absolutely nothing to our God. It is so simple to him. We can't rattle our brain around it or the details of the, as we try to explain or comprehend the vastness of our universe and in in the solar systems and all the solars and all the planets, all of this, and how we are just this wee little, planet Earth is just this wee little dot in the universe that is all around us and, 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 or, or the miracle of life. The birth of a child, the human being in a womb of a woman, and the beauty and the miracle of of life being given to that child in the womb before they even take their first breath. And then the miracle is is no doubt dads, I mean, is, is no doubt for Chris and for Andre, the tears that were flowing as their little sons were born, and just the miracle of birth. Again, just all of this, the vastness of creation, human life, everything around us, even the songs we are singing today just shouts our great and our awesome creator and sustainer of the universe. Oh, the might and the majesty and the power and the dominion of our God. It's phenomenal. We can't grasp it. We can't understand it. And oftentimes, there will be a statement that you will hear around our household when we're out enjoying nature. We heard it. uh, Both Charlotte and I said it numerous times when we were in Hawaii. And understand it, we said this sarcastically, okay? So this was said sarcastically and usually is said, well, it is always said sarcastically when, when this happens. We'll end up just saying, and just think, this beauty, all of this just came from a bunch of LJ, from a bunch of pond scum, from a big bang somewhere. Yeah, right. How? Never. That takes more faith to believe that 
than the intelligent design of a creator God. Amen? That's our God, and look at all that he's created for us. And and Psalm 119, write down that reference. I'm going to give you references to write down and stuff to write down. Psalm 119, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And oftentimes, another thing will say, if this world took God six days to create it in all of its beauty, in all of its glorious splendor and majesty, and all of this that I've just talked about is just not even scratching the surface of how amazing God's creation is. If this earth, if this world took only six days and he's been preparing heaven for 2,000 years, this world, it's like a garbage can compared to what he is preparing for us. the depths, the amazing glory of God's creation. And it's mind-blowing. But you want to know something that's even more mind-blowing than that? Something that is more amazing than anything I've said so far? And write down this, Psalm 33, verses 2 and 3, and the verses will be up on your screen. You've got to see see this. It says, Thus saith the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to... It formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call to me, he says, and I will answer you and t- will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Here is an invitation from this God who we've just been trying to explain in just minute terms of his glorious majesty, power, splendor, dominion. And now is this incredible invitation that he has for us to come into relationship with him to draw near to him, to call upon his name. And he says, and I will answer you. I will tell you great and hidden things that otherwise you wouldn't know. I will do things. I will answer because you call upon me. The great God of this universe is extending an invitation like this of highest order. It is a call to relationship from the fullness and the greatness of our God to us as his creation. This is not simply about praying a prayer and, and for the forgiveness of our sin, receiving salvation, and then it's like, I guess I'll see you in heaven. No, this is a call to a relationship, an ongoing day by day, moment by moment, year after year, relationship intimate relationship with the God of this universe who invites us to call upon him. And he says, I will answer. I will answer. It's about entering into the heart of God in prayer with our whole being. He's inviting us to love him, to come before him and experience the deep things from his heart. But the problem with so many of us today, myself included in this, We can easily become so half-hearted in the Christian life. Just going through the spiritual motions, having made some sort of a commitment and maybe numerous commitments over the years. It seems we wander, we kind of drift, we kind of, we've lost our first love and we've lost the wonder and the closeness that we once knew, the joy of knowing Christ and it's just kind of going through the doldrums. Just having the right answers, having the knowledge. But there's no power. There's no real joy. There's no real victory. We get so tempted and lured by the false glitter that this world promises, causing us to fall deep into apathy and boredom when it comes to spiritual things. That spiritual things doesn't even light it up for us anymore because we've become so apathetic and we just end up going through the spiritual motions. I know it's good for me. I'm just doing it to keep my insurance policy for heaven up, to keep it current, keep it active. The truth is that the world can never fulfill the yearnings that we have in our heart. All the shopping, all the vacations, lots of money, endless activity, all kinds of relationships and material pursuits, they'll only satisfy for a short time. And they will never satisfy you fully. Only Jesus can satisfy us fully. And here's an invitation that we're going to look at today to find our satisfaction in him. Only Jesus can do this. God wants to bring us all closer to him, to the one who offers and brings true and full and long-lasting fulfillment. And how does this happen? By seeking him in prayer, 
by taking his word and putting it to work in our lives, believing and trusting in faith in this way. And so here's Jesus we've been working through for many months now, the greatest sermon ever preached because it was out of the mouth of Jesus. And we come to this part on prayer and here Jesus is teaching about a prayer that works. Here is a pattern of prayer that will work, that will get through to the heart of God. A prayer that will get results. And this is why I encourage you, write down, take some notes along as we work through this. And then put it into action. And Wednesday night, we're going to put it further into action. And so I'm going to start reading in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 5. And it says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, what is this prayer called? How how is this prayer commonly referred to? It is called what? The Lord's Lord's Prayer. And I mean, now, now there's many of us who probably could recite this because you grew up saying this. There's many in this room that, that perhaps did this. For me, I did it in Sunday school, but it was more every Every day in school, we would stand up and we would sing, O Canada, or God Save the Queen, and then we would recite until I think at least grade three or four, we would recite the Lord's Prayer. And probably many of you have done that before. Or maybe you grew up in a religious tradition where you prayed that religiously. You prayed it daily or every time that you went into church. And, 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 and so we're very familiar with this prayer. We can know it. And yet Jesus noticed in verse 9, when Jesus says, he says, pray like this. Underline the word like in your Bibles, I encourage you to do that. He doesn't say pray this. This wasn't just like a, 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 a routine kind of prayer that we're to pray for kind of good luck or to kind of see us through the day to, to kind of give us that, that, that traveling insurance or, or, or to see us through, you know, the week's activities or whatever. He says, pray like this. And the Lord's Prayer is, is to be a model for prayer, not a mantra. A pattern for prayer, not just a platitude. Or a lifestyle of prayer and not just a liturgy. Now, there's not, I mean, whenever we say God's word, that's a good thing. But when we say God's word, we ought to know what we're saying. It's so important to do that. And sadly, we can know this prayer. We can recite this prayer. And many of you, maybe you could even do it backwards because you've said it so many times forwards, you know, and, and we can go through it, but mindlessly repeat it. It means nothing. There's no value, no power in just simply kind of routinely saying this in a religious routine sort of way. And see, this is one of the benefits of preaching through the word of God. It was in previous weeks when we looked at this, Jesus even warned about vain repetition, about just praying in, in, in order to impress people or just kind of routine kind of route prayers that so often we can pray. And this is where the Jewish people were at in, in these days. They would pray religiously three times a day. They would stop everything what they w- that they would be doing and they would stop. And there was basically a list of 18 prayers that they would pray. Uh, certain times of the year, certain times of the day, certain times of, of seasons or things they were facing. There was basically 18 prayers that they would have memorized and they would stop three times a day and it would be, oh, I'll choose, you know, number 14 and number 12 today. I don't think it was quite like that, but they would pray these prayers just routinely three times a day, religiously, and they do it on street corners so they could be heard and people could hear how amazing and wonderful they were. And Jesus says, no, don't, don't make it a show. Make it about the heart. Just not vain repetition. And so even for many of us, prayer can become just an empty ritual on the way out the door before our night's sleep, before a service before something that goes on in our life. And, or or, or we, we use prayer to kind of show off. We can use, you know, we, we've you know, been around the block a few times and we know a few big words to be able to say and kind of the right, you know, sort of way to say it and, and to impress others. And Jesus says, don't impress others. Your prayer isn't for the sake of others being impressed. It's to come into the heart of God. That he would be impressed with what's in our heart and our heart's desire. But so oftentimes we pray and can pray this prayer and know this prayer. And and this has been my prayer this day, that this prayer would come alive. There have been things that as I've been working through this message this past week, 
I'll never look at the Lord's Prayer ever the same again for the rest of my life. And I trust that, that there will be portions of this that, that, that you individually and as families and as a church, we would hold on to this and we would learn the power and, and see that this is a prayer that works. This is a prayer that Jesus gave. He says, here, pray this way. When you pray, pray like this. So it must be a prayer that works if he shares it with us. There's a new TV program. I think it started just right after the Super Bowl. And uh, it's called The World's Best. And so it's a talent variety kind of show where contestants from all, the, all over the world have been screened. And they come now on stage and they, they perform their talent on stage before judges from America as well as judges from around this world. And so uh, we've been a little intrigued. We've seen some of it. And, and, and this past week, I was, I was just amazed. My jaw dropped in an amazing way when I, I saw and then heard this singer from Mongolia come out onto the stage. This nice, shy, polite kind of kid. Everything needed to be, he, he doesn't understand any English. He needed an interpreter to understand what the judges were saying to him as, as they were introducing him and, and his talents won him some awards in Mongolia, but now he's in the United States and singing before the world, the world's best uh, competition here. And, and what his talent was, like some, we saw some guys swallowing knives and some people with card tricks or whatever it might be, but this guy's talent is that he's an American country music singer. And, and, and you just kind of think, here's this shy, quiet kid from Mongolia. How is he going to sing? Will he have an accent? How is he going to be able to do this? Can't even speak English. Well, check this out. It's amazing. And Amazing, isn't it? I mean, I was just in shock. And then afterwards, the judges were interviewing. Everyone was amazed. And yes, of course, he went on to the next level of, of performing in this. But they said, do you understand any of the words that you were just singing? And he said in Mongolian and through the interpreter, not a word. He had memorized the song so perfectly with the right inflection, with everything, and had no clue at all what he was singing. And you know what, folks? The same can be so true for us. That we can be taking the Lord's Prayer and we can repeat it and we can be saying it for years and have no clue as to the significance, the importance. And I just, my prayer in my heart is that our hearts would be opened in our eyes Whatever it is that has been plugging up our prayer life and, and, and affecting our power and our victory in our lives, we'd be set free today as we look at this prayer that works from the heart of Jesus. And these are the, the lips of Jesus that take us to the heart of God in an amazing way. The Lord's Prayer, it's deep, it's meaningful, it's powerful, and so we're going to work through it, and you're going to see the words of these verses on the screen. I encourage you to write this down because there's some important notes to go alongside. And so, first of all, this prayer is really divided up into two sections, and, and these are two sections you might want to write down. First of all, the, the first part is, is, is about God's glory. It's about a prayer that is about God's glory. The focus is upward. Our delight in God. Our delighting in who God is and in, in, in the affairs of God. And so it is this delighting in God, this God's glory first. And then second of all, the second part of the prayer deals with our needs. Our request to God. This is our bringing our struggles, our needs, big or small, hurts, our petitions. Asking God to now intercede on our behalf. But it starts and it begins by first of all, delighting ourselves in God. And we've got to get that order right. We've got to understand that. And sadly, right out of the gate, so oftentimes many of our prayer times just seems to go right to section number two, doesn't it? We just go right in for the, the asking. We go right with our requests and our needs um, and, and, and or the needs of others. Leonard Ravenhill, an author, a revivalist, he, he wrote this, the place of prayer for most Christians is simply a dumping ground 
for all our anxieties, our frets, and fears. Or it is a place to drop a shopping list before the throne of God. And our prayer is supposed to be so much more than just a dumping ground. It's supposed to be so much more than just dropping a shopping list before the throne of God. Prayer is much more than that. And it, first of all, prayer is to start with and be about God's glory first. Delighting, finding our delight in God. And so I encourage you to write these down as we work through this. You, by the end, if you write this down, you've written out the, the whole Lord's Prayer here. And, and so we're going to start in verse 9. Our Father in heaven... This speaks of relationship. So the first part of this prayer, our Father in heaven, relationship. And, and, and you see, this is quite possible that in many ways, the first two words of this prayer, at least for me this week, and I think in many ways, the most important words in this prayer are those first two words, our Father. And the idea of referring to God as Father may seem really normal to us. We hear that term often. We sing that song, love that worship song. He's a good, good Father. And, and we know God as Father. But when Jesus would have said this, more than likely when he would have said, now pray, when you pray, you pray like this. And he says, our Father, there would have been, oh, what is he saying? We don't address God in that way. The old religious guard I mean, what's he doing? We don't re address or we don't refer to God in that tone. You see, in the Old Testament, and this is a very interesting study, and, and to find out that, and you see the Old Testament writers, they understood and they believed, and, and, and God's word in the Old Testament proclaimed the fatherhood of God, but it was more in terms of a corporate kind of God the Father as sovereign creator, as a corporate father of Israel. And only 14 times is the name Father ever referenced as, that God is ever referenced as, as Father. And never, from Genesis to Malachi, does anyone ever speak or refer to God as their Father. And our Jesus comes onto the scene and only addresses God as Father. At least 66 times, in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, does he refer to God as his Father? And, and now Jesus tells us, and as he comes along, he says, now you pray the same way. You can address God in the same way as your Father. He is my Father, and this is the way we are to address him as our Father. And a better way to understand that word, in, in Greek it's Abba, Father, or dearest father, or dearest dad, would be probably one of the best ways to interpret that or, or, or to put it into our context today. And Jesus is, and, and, and our father, our dearest dad, our dear father, is one who is perfect, who is loving, who is caring, who is all-knowing, who is everything we described in creation, but also so intimately involved and desires to be involved in a close relationship with us. And Jesus is taking the doctrine of the fatherhood of God and he's transferring it into an intense, personal, practical, intimate experience for us as his children. Our dearest father is how we can approach our God in prayer. That's how we are to approach him in prayer. As our dearest father, not as some mean unapproachable, scary man as a big policeman in the sky just ready to take his billy stick after us and give us a, a knock on the ankles or in the knees when we're acting up. No, 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 that's not him. He's our father, our dearest father who wants us to approach him as such, our dearest dad. And we are to approach him in this way and it's a privilege for us but it's not for all people. It's only for those who have been adopted into his family. And the way that we're adopted into his family is through believing in faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived on this earth a perfect life and was the complete and satisfying payment for our sins. And when we believe in the work that Jesus did on the, on the cross in conquering sin and rising in victory... 
And when we receive him as our Lord and as our Savior and we repent and we're disgusted by our sin, we're disgusted and we repent of our old ways and we want to follow his lordship in our lives, we surrender our lives to him, the adoption papers get signed and we can approach him as God, our dearest father. Joint heirs with Jesus. Jesus was the son of of God, and God's word tells us that we are then joint heirs together with him. Our dearest dad, and we are to approach God in, that, in this way. Romans 8.15, might want to write down that reference. We receive the spirit of sonship and, and within our hearts, and one of the great ways to know if you are saved is that you, it's just understanding and seeing God for who he is as our dearest dad. Now, sometimes, because of earthly fathers, and no matter how awesome of an earthly father you had, he was imperfect. And perhaps the image that you have of God may be in the perspective of an earthly father and maybe some mean or some hurtful, uh, harmful things that he did towards you or towards other beliefs. God is not the face of your earthly father. He is good. He is loving. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will be with you to the end. He is the perfect father. He is the gentle father. He is the all-knowing father. And, and this means we can have confidence in him. We can have security in him. We can find our wholeness, wholeness of life found in our father. And so this speaks of adoption. And, and, and we're adopted as his sons and his daughters. And we come to him as dearest father. We are so loved. And if you are a child of Jesus Christ, if you have received him as your Lord and Savior, you have to know that he, he's not disappointed in you. He loves you. He's crazy about you. And he desires you to come to him as dearest father. Nothing melts the heart of a dad or of a grandfather when their children come and all they need is a hug or they're broken and they just know they just need to come and be with their dad. That's the way a God, our Heavenly Father, is. He wants us to come to him, approach him. And he delights to listen to us. He delights to answer us. And he will. He delights and is ready to forgive us when we confess our sin but notice, it's, as it says, our Father, as we work through this prayer, at this rate, we're going to be here till 3 o'clock this afternoon, but we're going to work through it a little quicker. Our Father in heaven. And, 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 and that's important because, first of all, the first part of this prayer brings God down to us as God, our Father, but then we place him back in heaven where he is located. This is a theological term called transcendence. That he's sovereign, that he's reigning over all. He is God alone. He stands by himself with all-knowing wisdom, with all power, present in all places. But his home is in heaven. His transcendency is there at the throne. And he is the God who is in complete control of our lives, of the galaxies, everything in the world. Nothing happens. Even when a sparrow falls out of the tree. God's word says he's aware. He knows how many hairs are on your head. And some of you, that's not a lot. And, and, and yet he, he, he's able to keep track of that. He knows it all things. He's all-knowing, all-powerful. Our Father, dearest Dad, who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Verse 9, the last part of verse 9. And this speaks of God's reverence. Yes, he's our father, our dearest dad, but he's not some cosmic buddy living next door to us. He's not some celestial teddy bear that, that is just there for our little hugs and snuggles. No, there's a reverency and an awe to his holiness. His, and we can so flippantly just treat him in the way I just described in just very light terms. And, and when we do, it suggests a very defective kind of knowledge of God. And so, dearest dad, in heaven, but holy, we revere him. Hallowed, how awesome, how holy is your name. And you know, in our fast-paced lives, we run so fast, we dash from here to there. 
We oftentimes dash and run into God's presence, uttering a few words, often empty kind of routine. We kind of have a certain kind of mantra down that we start our prayers with and how we end them, and we make a few requests in the middle, and we give them our agenda. But a prayer that works starts with this adoration, with this awe, with coming to our Father, understanding who He is, and how vital, how important that is to do. Psalm 20, verse 7, it says, Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name or in the character of our God. It's important to take time when we approach God in prayer to look and to focus on his name, on his character, on his attributes. There's a handout that will be on the table on the way out. It's the attributes of God from A to Z. And and, 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 and listed with scripture. And, and, and so when you go to God, our dearest father, and, and, and we need some help in some of these things and just be reminded of who our God is, that he's awesome, that he's beautiful, that he's compassionate, and it just takes you right through the alphabet. What a great way to start. We're going to have this available on Wednesday night at a prayer time as well, but it will be on the back table, have a number of copies of these available, and just taking time to recall his name, his character, adore him, And be reminded of who our great God is. And so it's on that basis that we start in our prayer. We approach him in this way. And then then the next part we see in verse 10, it says, Your kingdom come. Your will be done as it is in heaven. This has to do with surrender. Surrendering ourselves to God's plan and to God's will. You see, we have our own agendas and God has a certain agenda and a plan for our lives. And so oftentimes we chart the course and say, okay, God, get on board with me. And God's like, I I don't, I don't really operate like that because the way that you are going, you're going to be filled with pride. You're going to be filled with ditches. You're going to be filled with, with, with failure, successes. That's going to look like success, but in the end, leave you empty. No, it's about surrendering to my plan and to my will for your life. And this is where we come and say, okay, God, what is, what is your plan for my life? This is praying for God's kingdom to reign supreme in our world. Your kingdom come. May the gospel win souls. The reason if we know Christ here today, the reason why we are still, I'll say this often, the reason why we're still sucking air is so that we can share Christ with others. It's not about just simply building our portfolio and our name for ourselves and our profiles and all of these different things. No. It's about making Jesus great, making him famous. Anything short of that will end up in disaster and emptiness. Your kingdom come. Oh God, would you save souls of those around us in our city, in our nation, in our families? Your kingdom come. May people come to know who Jesus Christ is, his death on the cross, his victory. Your kingdom come. We celebrate that, don't we? We celebrate the virgin birth. We celebrate Christmas. We celebrate his resurrection from the dead. We celebrate Easter. We make a big deal about it. But how are we at celebrating and getting ready and preparing? We prepare for Christmas. We prepare for Easter. We make big deals. Are we preparing for the second coming of Christ? He's coming. And we just are ignoring it. And it's happening. It's going to happen. It's a sure thing. Just as the others were prophesied and promised, the second, the coming of Christ, the return of Christ is happening. And it's so amazing. You hear of all this global warming stuff and climate change. And I know some of us with the cold weather, um, even a few days after we left Hawaii, there was a windstorm that was just for the ages, apparently, and it left a whole bunch of snow on one of the mountains. Yes, in Hawaii, they had a whole bunch of snow up there. I mean, our world is out of whack. And people, they're trying to explain it and then, you know, climate change and, you know, global warming. And and I love what one of the ladies said this past week as as I was talking to some before the ladies Bible study. They said, no, it's global warning. It's God is warning us. Prepare. We're living in the last days. God's word called this. They call all of these weird things happening in our weather as climate change. And, and, and God just says, no, it's, it's the end days. It's, it's what I said in Luke 21 when he says there will be earthquakes and famines and pestilence and fearful events and great signs from heaven. We're seeing it. And he says, your kingdom come. Are we preparing? Are we ready for his kingdom to come to this earth? That others would be saved, that they wouldn't go to eternity and spend an eternity in hell. That's what we are called to do. We live so much, we live such small lives. 
you know, our world, it's a mess. I mean, just listening to the news, I mean, it's, it's off the rails, it's in the ditch. Um, whether you build a wall or build a pipeline or have better laws, it's not going to help, folks. We can hope, we can post, we can share, we can comment, we can do all these different things. Thinking if we just had a certain premier or prime minister or president, a change in those areas, that's not going to change anything ultimately. Real change is going to come as God's kingdom comes to this earth and God's kingdom come when the gospel is received in the souls of people who previously were lost. God is glorified when that happens. This is a prayer for God's rule, God's reign, God's kingdom to come through us. He's going to use us. We can't save anyone. He does that work, but we are conduits to help that happen. And so, God, may your kingdom come in my family. Would you be glorified in my life? God, would your kingdom come to this church, to this city, to this community, to this region, to our nation? Would we be so kingdom-minded that we would be so earthly good? That our focus is on what God is wanting us to do. And so it says, your will be done. This is God, may my life be about your agenda. Daily praying that God, your will be done today. Would, would I live for you today? Would I say, would I do, would I respond in a way that would help to bring your kingdom here to this earth that would glorify you ultimately? May my life not be about my glory, but about you. May your life be manifested in me to those around so that when they would see me, I would be so small, but Jesus would be so big by what they see and how they are treated and how they are loved. I've got a long ways to go to this. I need to pray this every day, like every hour, every 15 minutes. God, I surrender myself to you because I want my way. I want my will. I want my agenda. But a prayer that works comes to God as our Father, adoring Him, revering Him, worshiping Him, but then saying, okay, God, but your will be done. Would your kingdom work be accomplished in and through my life? But then it goes on, as, as the prayer now switches gears, we kind of go into the second division where we've been delighting in God and surrendering ourselves to God, reminding us of, of his great wisdom and power and greatness, but now it's switching the gears to our personal requests before God. And he says, give us this day our daily bread. This is a prayer for provision. This is a humble admission to come before God that we have needs. And he wants to know about our needs. He wants us to bring our needs, whether how big or how small, to him. And, he, and so we come and say, God, give us our, our needs. Give us our daily bread. God wants us to bring every need to him. And this is fostering a daily dependence upon him. Daily, say, you know, and, and, and we're so self-made. We're so self-sufficient. We have very little, oftentimes, real need for God in our lives. I mean, if we're running short of money, just apply for another credit card. Get another loan. Or go see mom and dad. Or I can fix it. We've got a problem. I can fix it. I can muscle through it. Need more money? I'll just work a little harder. Or, or take another job. Or... And, and, and self-sufficiency becomes such a terrible addiction. Actually, I heard one pastor comment. He says that, that self-sufficiency is just as terrifying as a drug or alcohol addiction because we've just become so dependent on ourselves and we could do it. And here Jesus is saying, no, come to me. Come to me for all things. Come to me for the big things and the little things. Are we coming to him with our little needs, our daily needs, big or small? Bring him to him. He wants to hear from us. He wants to know what those needs are. And he promises to meet our needs. He doesn't promise in God's word to, to meet our greeds, but he promises to meet our needs. And then look at this, verse 12. It says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This speaks about freedom, freedom that we can enjoy. And, and, and so you see this, there's provision. We come to him for provision, but now we're coming to him for forgiveness because this ultimately sets us free. God, when we are walking in his forgiveness, there's a freedom that comes into our lives that we can have no other way. Now, the word debt is just another word for sin. 
And so forgive us, God, of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And does that happen? Do we commit sins throughout the day? You better believe it. Do others sin against us? You better believe it. And we remember almost every one of them when, we, when they do. I was a stat, statistic this past week. Don't know if any of you were. Maybe we can talk afterwards and find out if you got a good price for yours or not. Um, but this cold weather seems to have wreaked havoc, uh, havoc on, on car batteries. Um, and, and that's what cold weather does. It exposes the weakness and all of a sudden you realize, oh, my battery is not working the way that it should. Now, the cold we've experienced here in Kelowna over the last little bit, and we were away for a good chunk of it, but uh, just not to rub that in, but not as bad as some of the other places that they experience. I talked to my brother who lives in southern Alberta, but is working in northern Alberta, and he flew up to the northern Alberta, well, not even that far north, but Grand Prairie, and one morning he got into his vehicle, it was minus 48 that day, and a wind chill of minus 55. And he told me he had to stop three times as he started driving away from where he had his vehicle parked because he thought the tires on his vehicle were cracked or, or, or were, were flat. But in reality, what happened is that they were so frozen that they froze kind of unevenly. And so it felt like he was just driving like this, you know. And, and so you hear that. And, and, um, and, and I said, do you have a good battery? He says, oh, yeah, I've got a great battery. Plus, he had his vehicle plugged in. But nothing can sap the energy and the strength out of your battery than cold weather. That kind of shows us that, hey, there's a weakness. And I looked and, and checked my truck battery, and sure enough, it's four and a half years old, and it was time for a new one. And across Western Canada, even here on, on Kelowna, there's been quite a run on car batteries this winter. It just saps the power. But folks, nothing saps our spiritual strength and power in our lives than sin, than unconfessed sin. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, withers, drops off the tree, so to speak, when we live in areas of sin, sin and sinfulness in our lives or not willing to forgive those around us. And here in verse 12, we see these two paths kind of cross here. We see our own sin that we've committed towards God, but also our sin that have been, that's been committed towards us from others. And, if, and, and we are to seek God's forgiveness daily. He says this is to be a regular prayer in our lives that we are coming and asking him to forgive us of our sins. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to, clean, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we do that daily, hourly. Daily we bring our heart before God, keeping short accounts with him. And also letting go of the grievances that others have caused and committed towards us. We want to fight. We want to hold on. But that just saps our power, our victory, our strength, our prayer life won't go anywhere. When we're living with unconfessed sin or in a bitterness or unforgiveness towards others, we're to let it go. And let God grant his forgiveness to us and in time help us to be able to forgive those who've sinned against us. And it's a process. It's hard. But it's one we have to hold on and, 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 and persevere in. This is to be a daily occurrence in our lives. Last Monday, I um, went to the dentist and I did what every good patient does before they go to the dentist. What do you do right before you go to the dentist? You brush and you floss. Yeah, so, so I was busy flossing and as I was flossing, all of a sudden a big filling popped out right in the midst of my flossing experience. I thought, well, I guess the timing is pretty good, so I was able to go, and, and, and so the dentist took a look at it, and then he pointed to a few other fillings in my mouth, and he says, Melvin, these fillings are getting a little old, and what happens with these, you know, just like you, he didn't say that, otherwise I would have, like, I'm done with you. Anyways, he goes and he, um, he says, the fillings over time separate from, from the tooth, and and in time, those fillings have to be replaced. I said, really? I didn't know that. He says, yeah, you're coming into that age and these fillings are getting old enough to, to be able to do that. So we're going to have to repair some of these other ones. And he said, but you know, something that can, he said, and what happens is you get gum disease or you get cavities starting to go up into that little, into the crack area between your, your filling and your tooth. And then his assistant said, yeah, but flossing would help a lot with that, you know. And... Uh, and I'm like, ah, yes, I know. You know, if you just floss a couple times a day, you wouldn't have a lot of these problems. Kids, do you hear that? Floss your teeth. Then you don't have to deal with what I'm dealing with now. 
And so, you know, good lesson for, for us all in that. In, and, and so this isn't a, a lesson in dentistry, but it's a lesson in what we need to be doing with the disease. It's, it's far worse than gum, gum disease or a cavity, the disease of sin. And when we hold on to it, when we aren't regularly coming for cleansing and forgiveness, asking God to forgive us, as well as forgiving those who've wronged and sinned against us, um, disease takes over in our lives. Bitterness. It's a terrible way to live. And this is vital to spiritual life and to, to the victory that God offers. And to walk in forgiveness is to walk in freedom. To, to know that God will one day settle accounts with that person who, who has mistreated, who has cheated you. That God is God that is just and fair and the justice may not come in our time and in our way or however it is, but we leave it in his hands because he is God. And deciding or choosing to live in sin or not to forgive is bondage. And God says, come to me for cleansing and you will experience freedom. This is the prayer that works. And, and then the last part here, then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the path for victory. God, don't let me yield. God, don't let me yield into areas of sin and temptation. This is a reminder that spiritual victory, the moral triumphs in life, they're based on our dependency upon God. And we can't do this on our own. We need, we're not strong enough. We can't muscle through it. We can't walk into the lion's den and think I'm invincible. We can't walk into this world so filled with sin and the defilement and all that is around and think we can protect ourselves. No, we need to pray, oh God, would you protect me today? Would you protect my family? Would you protect our church? Would you protect the men in this church? There's so many different distractions and there's so many different deceptions that are out there. Oh God, would you protect me? Would you protect others? Would you protect the children in this church, the teenagers, the women, all of us? Oh God, your protection can, oh God, convict me, remind me when I'm starting to go down a dangerous path in the day in conversation, in my mind, in actions. Lord, show me the right path and his word always does. This is a prayer of humility before God. When temptation comes, we, come, we call out to him for help and he will provide that escape plan. Folks, no prayer, no victory. But where there's much prayer, there'll be much victory. Leonard Ravenhill, he, he also said this, and then at the, I'm going to close in a moment with a few more of his quotes. And he said this, he says, You must know that Satan will distract, deceive, dissuade you and I from prayer. Nothing makes Satan tremble more when he, than when he sees the weakest Christian on his or her knees. That is where the power comes from. This is where the help is found. This is a profound pattern that we have for us. And, and Wednesday night, I'm bringing this message to a close right now, but this is just part A. Wednesday night is part B, where we're going to take and we're going to spend some time praying through this as a, as a model prayer for us. And, and, and I trust that it will do a great work in our lives and developing a prayer life as we approach our Father in adoration and reverence in love and as we work through the other aspects of this prayer. But you can even start on that. You don't need to wait till Wednesday. You can start using this prayer and that model in that way. You see, I just, I don't want prayer to be one of the great misses in my life or in your life or in our church's life and would God restart and rekindle and remind us of the power that there is in prayer. If we could just put that last, put that scripture verse up from Jeremiah 33 as a closing reminder to us. That if we get hold of this, prayer doesn't become a chore. Oh, something I have to do. We can't wait to do it. To come and talk to our Father. Thus saith the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it, to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. This is the invitation we have and Jesus shows us how to do it. Would we take advantage of that? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right now. Just even right now, I'd encourage you to be thinking about this. Can you just imagine the things in your life that would change? The lives that would be affected and changed in here and out there the marriages that were could be reconciled, the lost that are saved, the prodigals that return, the healings that could and would happen. And this is all possible. 
and can happen when God's people pray. I trust that God will lay before us a burden and a passion to pray. And one of the things that when you look at this prayer, you see so many ways that Jesus is speaking, and and Jesus is speaking about community here. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. We are to pray for one another. And even after the service today, there are going to be some here at the front, some prayer partners that will be with you, that will be available for you to come and have a word of prayer together with them, big or small. We want to pray for and with you. We want to stand with you in the big things or even in the little things. That will be happening just after our service here this morning. And instead of closing with worship, we're just going to close with these words, and then I'm going to give a few moments just to kind of think, to pray to God, maybe make some decisions in regards to prayer in your life. And then I'll close in prayer. Now listen to this. No man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is plain. The people who are not praying are strain. Poverty stricken as the church is today in many things. She is most stricken here in the place of prayer. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, but few prayers. Many singers, but few clingers. Lots of pastors, but few wrestlers. Many fears, but few tears. Much fashion, but little passion. Many interferers, but few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. Leonard Ravenhill goes on to write, spiritual adolescents say, I will not go to prayer tonight. It's only a prayer meeting. Satan will distract, deceive, dissuade us from prayer to get us off our knees. And when he does, he's laughing. God, would we see that this is something that we ought to do, that we must do, or else we die. We die spiritually. We wither. We become discouraged and defeated. And God, would we not see this as an incredible mountain that we have to climb, that this is just an incredible invitation to a walk and a relationship with the Creator God who wants to walk with us hand in hand. Dearest Father, thank you that you call us as your children And when we are, you desire to hear from us. And your word says that we can come to you with great confidence, with a boldness, as a child coming before his or her loving father, we can come before you and we find help and healing. And you answer our prayers and we thank you for that. God, would you teach us much in this area of prayer today? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.